0: Welcome to episode 12 of The Dotted Line, a series on contract drafting presented by Davis Ray Tremaine. I'm Craig Baker.
1: And I'm Wendy Kearns. And today, we are going to talk about another one of those all capital letters sections, the limitation of liability, as well as some issues around insurance. Uh, the limitation of liability is definitely one of these clauses where lawyers uh, are, are often called in to to figure out kind of what's the ultimate uh, what's the ultimate amount that people could be responsible for on under a contract if things go wrong, uh, which which can be very important to people who, you know, really want to go to the darkest place <laughs> and figure out like okay this thing blows up how what kind of check do I have to write or what kind of check can I get. From the counterparty,
0: right? No, I think this is probably the core risk. Um, it is often the very last thing that gets gets resolved in a contract. Um, it, it is often something that gets escalated to the business um, within an organization. So um, the the lawyers get involved to, in, in all the drafting, but ultimately this this um, issue often gets um, gets. Kicked up to um, some kind of um, ultimate decision maker um, around around the process. So don't expect this to be an issue that's going to get resolved um, in the first instance. I'd say probably three quarters of my deals have this as, as one of you know, if not the last issue, then then one of the bucket of the very last issues um, in that um, process.
1: Yeah, I would I would hundred percent agree with everything you just said, uh, and and because the drafting of this section can can have, uh, it can be a little complicated at times and is high stakes. The lawyers are you know usually pretty involved in, in writing it, but uh, this is a, really it is a business decision um, in most organizations unless there's, you know, there, there's sometimes in large organizations, there's Uh, set caps and set policies of how much you know there's going to people are going to be liable for per per contract but even that even that is originally set by by business but you know ultimately this is um, this is uh, you know what level of risk is is are the business uh, is the business of the company going to take under these uh, under these various types of agreements whatever that agreement might be.
0: Right, right. And so when you run across these, these contracts, they're usually um, three components, I mean, these clauses, there are usually three components that are part of the clause. So you have a cap on direct damages, there's a cap on indirect damages, and there's a long litany about what what those indirect damages might be. And then there are the exclusions from the cap. So in other words, under what circumstances are those um, capped amounts uncapped. And Sometimes these are set out as three different paragraphs. Sometimes they're all part of the same single paragraph, but you will see in almost every case, you will see um, all three of them. Now, sometimes you will see in form agreements, um, companies, particularly large companies with a lot of leverage, may exclude, uh, there may be just a cap on indirect damages, but no cap on direct damages. Sometimes, there may be no limitation of liability at all. Uh, that definitely can can occur, um, and so sometimes people just miss it because um, you know the form document didn't have a, a limitation of liability on it. Um, occasionally, they won't be all in all caps. I often see um, contracts that were originally drafted in um, in England; those those caps um, are not in all. I mean, the, the the language is not in all caps. So so you want to make sure you're not just only looking. Um, for for a single kind of, of uh, format or or form factor uh, in the document, but but in almost every case, you're going to have these three um, elements that are that are part of that.
1: Yeah, and the the all caps um, the all cap styling in the United States comes partly from consumer law, where you know if there's a limitation of some kind that a consumer needs to know about, then it needs to be you know broad it needs to be conspicuous and noticeable uh and so you know if you for example if you park your car in a parking garage and you get a little claim ticket and you see this thing and it says in all caps you know the we're not going to be liable for the thieves that break into your car or whatever that's you know kind of a daily example that uh that you know, all of us, all of us see, and so it's required for, to be prominent and conspicuous, and that's why it's on the ticket, to, so that you, you know you you can see it. There's really no excuse. Um, so so that carries over into areas where it's not even legally required, such as agreements between two businesses who are perfectly capable of you know con- contracting on their own and having their lawyers uh, read you know each other's contracts. So it's not it's not strictly required, but you know often often styled that way.
0: And so um, when when you're then parsing these agreements, um, the first thing to do is to look at um, the direct damages um, cap. And so normally this says something to the extent that says, you know, all of the uh, damages, the direct damages under the agreement um, are uh, going to be capped at a certain amount. And and normally on the vendor side, the vendor is trying to cap this at the benefit of the bargain. So you'll often see, um, you know, fees paid or fees paid over the last 12 months or the last six months, or maybe there's a multiple um, of that. And and in general, you know, the vendor is looking to um, try and constrain those, that direct liability to um, the, the benefit that they were expecting to get under the contract. The licensee, on the other hand, is often trying to loosen that, um, that cap, and so you'll often see um, in technology agreements that the licensee, or um, if you're hiring somebody for professional services, the the recipient of the professional services, they're trying to to loosen that cap, and so they'll be, um, you know, they'll be coming in and saying, "Well, I want a multiple um, of that in terms of the cap um, as it goes." And and there's not a lot of drafting. Um, um, nuance except in terms of the way that you're drafting the, you know, the fees and so is it fees paid, meaning fees actually in the door or is it fees paid or payable, meaning fees that would have been owed and is it fees pay and if you're doing fees paid but maybe the breach happens in the first two months, so that maybe you don't even have 12 months of of revenue to reach. Um, and, and then also is the cap on a contract basis or on an incident basis, you know, on an aggregate basis. So, so the nuance in the drafting is, is less about the um, all caps language, but really about how you're going to characterize those amounts um, that are going to be capped.
1: So a question that we get a fair amount is, well, what are direct damages? And so you can answer this question a little bit through the inverse, which we'll talk about in a minute. Which is what's an indirect damage? <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. But but mostly you can think of a direct damage as uh, you, know, you probably read cases on this in law school. But uh, but as a, a a a damage that are that it naturally flows from the agreement. So it's it's something that's readily attributable and ascertainable to uh, the breaches under the agreement. So it's going to be a bit fact specific um, and, you know, talking through you, with your client, you know, what What was involved in 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 an agreement? You know, in a case where there are goods being delivered and the goods you know didn't show up, then it might be the you know value of the replacement of the goods, or it might be you know getting your money back, or um, it, it it could be a variety of different facts in the in the contract to which you would just determine you know what what was readily what what readily flowed. You know, there's there's there are there's plenty of cases on this, but in in most most cases there's not you know, a built in answer, well, here's the list for you, it's going to kind of depend on what what happened at the time. So it, it usually helps to talk through the uh, clients, you know, kind of what's, what's your, what's your worst case scenario under this agreement, or what worries you about this agreement, if it were a breach, you know, if you breached, or if they they breached, and then um, talk through like, kind of what damages might be recoverable or or not.
0: Right. And the key is that, you know, these are sort of actual harms that the um, party is actually going to have sort of directly um, impact them as a result of the breach. It's not what we're um, Going to talk about next, which is the the notion of consequential damages, indirect damages, punitive damages, special damages. There's there's a long litany. They are standard from agreement to agreement, um, and and essentially they are. Um, th- there is usually a cap, e- even where there's a cap, uh, or even where there's no cap on direct damages. You'll typically see a cap on indirect damages, and they cap. Um, the indirect damages, and they, there's usually a long list of, of all the things that are characterized as indirect damages. And so I don't, I mean, I'm trying to recall a time I've actually edited um, the sort of that that list of damages normally you're just negotiating or editing the things that are going to be excluded from that from that bucket so so i don't typically see and, it, and it's usually it's a binary thing i mean you may have what we're going to talk about it in, in a bit where you'll have these um multiple tiers of caps but but you're not necessarily going to break out um you know special damages but then leave in punitive damages that never really Um, really happens. And so, so I just, yeah, I typically am only focusing um, um, on, on the exclusions. Wendy, is that your, is that your experience as well?
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. So, so yeah, in the, in the indirect damage disclaimer, it'll say something like, you know, neither party will be any, will be liable for uh, indirect damages, including, you know, consequential punitive loss of profits uh, right. uh and there's you know a, a, a laundry list and and this this partly comes from uh the fa- famous law school case you know Hadley versus Baxendale which if, if you read it involves a, a a case with a mill and there was a mill part that was supposed to be uh shipped and it didn't get there and then there was like it's like well what 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 should they be liable should they be liable for the milk Part, which I think was the crank, or um, you know, the loss of the sale of all the grain, or you know, people's loss of reputation because they weren't able to sell the grain, or you know, somebody's hungry cow that died, or you know, what, what should it be? What should uh, which where should the liability end? Uh, and so, uh, you know, in in um, uh, at least in the United States, we have this now long list of uh, this indirect direct damages disclaimer to make sure that uh that it gets cut off somewhere you know that, that there's not you know we're not now liable for the cow uh starving and dying because the milk crank didn't get there or whatever
0: right right it's it's like the richard iii quote my kingdom for a want of a horse uh, you know and so it's it's very similar uh to that um and so so normally you're not and 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 often the the consequential damage limit is reciprocal between the parties. You may have variations on the um, cap on direct damages um, between the two parties. And it, it may be one-sided, it may be reciprocal, but have different caps. Um, but typically the cap on, on reciprocal, or, I mean, the cap on indirect damages is reciprocal the exclusions may not be and 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 so the the, the next thing is to think about the exclusions um, from the limitation of liability and my experience is that you'll see um basically some combination of of four exclusions um, the common ones are um, exclusions for indemnification obligations um damages associated with confidential information or, or breaches of a confidentiality or security obligation um, uh, misuse of intellectual property um, um, or infringement, uh, you, and and that can can vary. Normally, it relates back to a certain paragraph, and that's usually a, a vendor side um, piece. And then um, gross negligence and willful misconduct. So any damages associated with the gross negligence or willful misconduct of of the the party that that engaged in the bad behavior. And so um, and and there can be a different combinations. Um, Um, That can be that uh, you also sometimes see breaches of law um, that are excluded from that that cap um, as well. Um, Some of these as we'll talk about in a second are are belt and suspenders, um, but they are. but there's usually some part of that bucket have have you seen anything else wendy um other than sort of on a one-off basis
1: um yeah i mean sometimes there are you know definitely these one-off basis uh things where there's just a core issue in the agreement and they want to make sure that it's it's carved out but those are those are more rare it's usually like i would say 95% of of deals that I work on have the list that you just mentioned. And then um, most of the time, I would say, well, I would say more than not, I see it car that these things carved out from both the um, both the uh, direct damage and the indirect damage cap. Um, but there are some trends, I would say, in the last, you know, I'd say last five to seven years where sometimes people are capping the um, indemnities more more than they used to, at least, you know, particularly with intellectual property indemnities. I'm seeing requests for that uh, a lot more uh, as, you know, I think people have gotten nervous about the cost of, of intellectual property uh, lawsuits. Um, and, and, and data
0: breaches. I mean, I
1: Yeah, that's a very common uh, thing. And and that brings us to super caps. You want to talk about the super caps?
0: Um, Well, one thing I was just going to say about the exclusions, I mean, one of the things to be careful about about the exclusions is that I will often see people draft exclusions W- without precision, and I think one of the things that um, is is a hallmark of everything we've said in this in this podcast series is is the importance of of thinking um, precisely. But people will for instance, um, exclude from the cap a violation of the security exhibit, but then the security exhibit is 17 pages long and has all sorts of different other things. And so um, that may be good for one party, but bad for the other party. And so I think it's really important.
1: Right. Or or, or I've I've seen uh, people exclude the security exhibit, but not security breaches which may or may not be right. a breach of the security exhibit so that's a, that's where it can get you in, in a different way where you exactly. thought oh i'm gonna just exclude for violations of the data security exhibit but then it turned out there was a security breach because you know there something else wasn't followed or there just was a very large-scale security breach and now so nobody's liable
0: um, yeah, and I think that that is an ongoing um, challenge is sort of ensuring that whatever the exclusion is, it's it's sort of right sized for what it is you're expecting to exclude. Um, you know, one other thing to to think about too here is that almost every damage that results from a breach of confidentiality is going to be an indirect or consequential damage, um, and so. Um, most of the time, you are excluding the, the conf- breaches of confidentiality from, from the, the indirect cap. But occasionally, you will have a party who is nervous about that. And so sometimes you characterize certain kinds of damages as direct damages. So, for instance, um, data breach remediation, which some people might consider to be a, a consequential damage, you'll actually define in the agreement as a direct damage and put it, you know, outside the direct damages cap or something like that. So you can be, you know, creative where you're trying to characterize some of these things.
1: Yeah, you just have a separate section that says you know these things are deemed direct damages or, or whatever. So yeah, I mean to 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 your point, kind of what we've been talking about, uh, you know, within the, definitely the last ten years uh, with the explosion of the cloud and uh, the you know in, increase of uh, of software as a service, uh, so many so. So much negotiation over data breach and privacy violations, and especially with the GDPR, you know, having such right. significant liability for violations of the GDPR. So um, a common construct that we see, particularly to address this issue, but not with not solely to re, uh, to address the privacy and security issue, is this concept of a super cap, where you have two caps. You have one cap for direct damage, and then another, always large. Larger. I've never seen it smaller, <laughs> but always larger cap uh, to uh, address data uh, security or privacy breaches. Or it's a separate bucket. It can be structured a few different ways. But uh, what what this might look like is is okay. You know, all direct damages are a million dollars. But you know, I'm just trying out a number here. All direct damages are a million dollars. But if there's a data breach or a violation of data security laws or a violation of exhibit e or which has the data security or you know whatever it's it's going to differ uh, uh depending on the agreement then there's a you know the um the breaching party is going to be liable for three million dollars or some multiplier of the the base amount um and then there's often some qualifiers as to you know is it cumulative is it $3 million total or is it one plus $3 million and is it a $3 million bucket that can be accessed a few times or just one bucket for that whole thing or you know so the, that when you get into super caps you you know back to our, our point about being real precise you really have to be very precise uh here to make sure that the amounts that you think the party's going to be liable for are what intended.
0: Yeah, and I think you almost always see super caps being suggested by uh, on the vendor side, um, and I'm seeing them increasing. I mean, I, th- I think in almost, I would say it's now in a majority of the contracts that I'm seeing, we're getting these super caps um, in them, and it's happening from vendors, large and small, um, that where, where this comes up. And the theory is that um, the organization is pricing its service. Uh, you know, it's trying to standardize its process, its pricing, its service, you know, you're getting a deal because it's not bespoke. And as a result, they can't have the cascading liability if, you know, if they have a violation, or, I mean, if they have a problem, it's probably a problem happening to 500 customers or 50 customers or something. And the, the compounding of that risk just becomes cost prohibitive um, or insurance prohibitive. And that that's the theory. I mean, um, obviously many, Customers don't have a lot of interest in in, in that theory, um, you, you know, or, or being um, um, sympathetic to that. But but that's you know that's probably the argument. It's certainly the argument that I end up giving when I'm on the on the on the vendor side, and and it's it's also the argument that I hear when I'm on the when I'm on the buy side.
1: Totally, totally. Um, so, you know, I think we're, we're looking at or we're talking about these issues, um, definitely from a US based uh, perspective, you know, Craig mentioned some, you know, other styling um, issues in other jurisdictions, uh, there are some jurisdictions around the world that have radically different approaches to um, uh, you know, to to limitations of, of liability. And uh, if you know if you have uh, an agreement that is multinational or in, in nature or might be governed by a different, um, uh, you know, type of law, just, you know, Keep in mind that this is this is a U.S. centric approach, and in you know these types of agreements, there's often parties from uh, around the world in, involved. Uh, and uh, you know, make sure you you know research uh, local law, consult uh, other other folks because they, the United States and common law, but the United States specifically has a, has a very different approach to this than the rest of the world.
0: Yeah. And, and like to, to put a finer point on that, it, you know, you will discover even in commercial agreements that um, certain countries will not permit certain warranties to be disclaimed, certain liabilities to be capped, um, you know, as it relates to, um, you know, the business to business sale of a of a, a good or service. And and those are the kinds of things where, you know, we would just presume, I think, in the United States that the, the two commercial entities. You know, could contract around that, so that's that's where I think you're gonna gonna see this,
1: yeah, uh, yeah, i I do a lot of deals with companies in Germany, and oh, they love to have German law governed because there's oh, so yeah. much so much stuff you cannot exclude
0: <laughs> yeah Germany, Austria, Switzerland, that whole sort of troika there, <laughs> the central European um, uh, legal uh, systems, absolutely yeah um so you know i think we wanted to touch a little bit on insurance i don't think either one of us um, purports to be a an, an insurance expert um and so uh, and a lot of times within organizations um insurance is um you know is kept within um a risk management um um ops uh or or group um not within the legal group and so so often you'll be escalating up to 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 Someone in risk management to determine whether or not you have insurance, what how much it is, you know, what you can say or do with respect to insurance. But the thing that I think is important to, to always think about is, you know, this is another set of capital or asset that can satisfy a judgment or legal risk. And, you know, sometimes if you're working with a small company you care less about the indemnity because they may not be good for it and you care a lot more about the size of the insurance policy that they have um, because that can really satisfy um you know whatever judgment uh or or reimbursement that you need to get from that you know from that smaller company yeah and so so i think the first thing to do is just sort of get a sense um of um, what it is that, um, you know, h- how the client um, works with insurance, um, you know, more broadly.
1: Yeah, I, I I would agree with that. I think, uh, you know, and it, a lot of times with insurance policies, the lawyer's role is often just, you know, hey, um, here's a clause of insurance they want you to have. <laughs> Can you call your insurance agent and have them, you know, edit this clause? And often that that solves it (laughs) Uh, particularly if they're the one asked to have the insurance uh in other um in other cases there there might be specific types of insurance that you want the other party to have and uh assuming you know about a bunch of insurances i do which isn't too much uh you know also an insurance broker can be your your friend and be very helpful
0: Yeah, I mean, typically the insurance policies they're going to be they're going to require a CGL policy, which is commercial general liability, Um, and this is your slip and fall policy. And usually, it governs most of your um, um, uh, most of this sort of. You know, this is like your homeowner's policy. It's going to it's going to govern most of that. There's also what's called an errors and omissions policy. Um, This is going to be the policy that governs like the IP um, liability and most. Almost every organization has a CGL policy um, because they're worried about somebody tripping and falling when they come in the, in the building. Um, and that's sort of something that you just get. But because you know can be a more expensive, it's usually you know, specific to um, certain uh, kinds of um, insured risks. Um, not everybody will have it and yet almost everybody in the tech space ought to have it. I mean, this is really the core insurance, even more so than CGL um, that you're going to want to see in the tech space. Um, and then you also see some people require cyber liability insurance. Sometimes this is a writer on a CGL policy or on an EO policy, but it is a, uh, it's a policy that's going to govern data breaches. And so you want to make sure either that your own policy or the counterparty's policy has um, those kinds of protections. Um, and then I'm seeing more and more um, requirements for um, sort of um, employer um, or employee sort of crime honesty policies, um, and we're seeing this more and more as you know y- you always saw them in the context of any kind of financial services fintech deal, but we're now starting to see them more with any kind of data deal because of that sort of notion of of changing data um, and and you know selling it on the dark web and and all that kind of stuff creating some sort of a um, sort of employee crime kind of um, policy. And I I think I'm seeing that more and more. The other thing that you always see is an automotive liability policy, I guess, in case somebody, you know, um, um, hits your car inside the parking lot. Um, But uh, I've always that's always struck me as as funny in a um, in a tech uh, agreement. But it's (laughs) not. it's not unusual to see an automotive liability policy
1: Um, i will get asked that it's like i don't plan to drive anywhere why do i need this
0: (laughs) yeah well and often you can strike it i mean I've, i've actually had i don't think i've had anybody really push back uh you know their pushback is please don't make me go talk to my risk management and insurance people um can't you just live with this um and most of the time people have it so they just live with it but um so that's i mean you know and then normally you know you're just confirming amounts um in the policy um and then um you know and then you're sort of walking through um policy approvals policy quality um, that kind of thing um and um but but that's th- those kinds of nuances are where typically you're going to want to to lean on um somebody who's dealing with these provisions all the time
1: yeah i agree so uh craig we have a question from the audience
0: I, I would have expected that
1: yeah they've come through once again yes, and uh, they want to know uh, is it true that some limitations of liability are unenforceable so what's your thoughts on this
0: uh, so um, I mean absolutely um, we talked a little bit about them in the in the um, in the international context that there are certain things that just can't be enforced um, and not surprisingly there are, um, many many um, kinds of um, things in a consumer-facing side that are, are just not you you can't sort of limit that um, that kind of liability. Um, one of the things that we will see as well um, on the consumer-facing side is um, if you try and essentially eliminate all liability, and, and we'll see this sometimes with website terms and ser- terms of service or terms of service around products where somebody will say that, you know, it's $0, you know, like we're not going to be liable for anything. Um, and, and of course, a court's going to say, well, that, well, that's just not commercially reasonable. That's a contract of adhesion. We're not going to enforce that. So I think, um, you know, those are some examples. I mean, I think that, that Wendy, you had some others as well, where things were just unenforceable. Yeah,
1: I mean, a courts don't, I mean, kind of going to the consumer thing, even in a business context, courts don't want to enforce, or, uh, you know, have in a contract limitations of liability that are against sort of public policy or would allow people to do really egregious things and get away with it. So they might not, they are not going to enforce things like willful misconduct or, you know, if there was theft or, or fraud, uh, you know, things approaching uh, criminal activity, or if there was Really gross negligence. So some some jurisdictions will just you know outright say like un, unenforceable um, on those types of uh, of of conduct. And so even if you know you you have these in contract or even even if you you have them in contract or, or don't, it sometimes doesn't. Really, it's it's not really going to matter. So you could say you know that neither parties or uh, parties are. Uh, you know, the the cap, there's not going to be a cap for um, gross negligence or willful misconduct, you know, whether you had that in the contract or not, the law is going to be the same. There's not going to be a cap on those two things because the courts just wouldn't enforce it anyway.
0: Absolutely. Um, Well, what, Wendy, is your tip, trick or quirk this week?
1: So I think that my tip, trigger quirk would be on the drafting of the formula in which Direct damages is calculated. So, uh, you know, there there's a lot of just industry contracting language that people use uh, that would be very easy to just cut and paste and drop in there. But you, you know, I would encourage uh, folks listening to this podcast to really think through what it means. And the one very specific example I'll I'll give is um, the as language that says something to the effect of you know, the damages under this, neither party will be liable for damages under this agreement uh, uh, in an amount greater than, you know, 12 months, greater than 12 months of fees paid under the agreement or something like that. Um, And then, so the question there is 12 months, you know, from what, and and often it'll say 12 months from the uh, time the claim arose. Well then, so if you see language like that, okay, I'm not liable for damages, you know, greater than 12 months of fees from the time the claim arose, then you think, well, what if there's two claims or what if there's, it's not clear when the (laughs) claims arose or what if there wasn't any fees paid, you know, uh, in that time period or um is it a rolling thing and then what if there's a claim but then the contract doesn't get terminated and then there's another claim you know does it is there now double the cap or you know what so uh my i guess i would encourage don't just blindly copy this language, even though it, it seems to make sense uh, in, in, and it's very commonly used. You'll see this language all over the place. I'm sure I've written plenty of agreements where you know, this, this, uh, this language is in there, but you have to sort of think through the consequences of what that what that language says. So the, the language around it is not that um, hard. Uh, that's that's not what I am worried about so much as I'm worried about just project through, project this language into real life out a little bit and just make sure you are talking through it with your client.
0: No, I think that that's super important. I mean, I think the variability of payment, I mean, you'll have, you know, where you have have a spike in a trough based on a, on a six month period and, you know, or, or sometimes people want to cap it at six months fees, but somebody's paid an annual subscription. And if the fees were paid, at the wrong time you basically have a bucket of zero to, no, a, to bucket is, a
1: bucket of nothing. <laughs> right?
0: And and also if you're if you're buying a, a relatively inexpensive product you know even two times fees you know that gets you a cup of coffee with your lawyer
1: <laughs> right.
0: and yeah. you not know, get you
1: through summary judgment
0: exactly and so you're, you're like you're not even getting you know it's not even getting you through initial discovery i mean it's <laughs> it, it, it's um and so it's it's i think it's really um i think that's a super important tip
1: yeah so what's what about you craig
0: So mine is um i just wanted to spend a little bit more time on the exclusion from the um of the uh from the cap for indemnification and i think it's a very intuitive thing where you say indemnities are third party claims um and that the the one party shouldn't have any obligations um for um indemnification because you know they they are an innocent party um you know in, in that process um what's important if you are the person who is is seeking the cap is if you read the indemnities the indemnities are going to then flow into the cap and so if the if the the fee or if the um things that are being indemnified are amounts awarded a trial and associated costs and things like that well then you've got a relatively predictable cap and then what you're excluding from the cap is relatively predictable um most people though will put in losses um, as one of the things that is is included in that indemnifiable element and there'll be some other things which are um you know may not have been recovered by court they're just damages and and costs and and other things um, that the um, organization may have incurred as part of the indemnifiable event that can be huge. And so when you're excluding from the cap, you may be actually excluding a lot more from the cap than you actually realize. And so again, I think it's about looking at the cascade that, that sort of flows into the cap, just like the, the tip that Wendy had brought that, that I think is critical. Thank you um, again. Um, until next time, this is Craig.
1: And this is Wendy. That closes episode 12. And next week, we will uh, go to all that legal stuff at the end of the contract, which we affectionately call boilerplate. I don't know if you have any idea where the word boilerplate came from, Craig. I'm not sure I do.
0: I, I don't, but I think I have some homework before the next uh, before the next episode.
1: <laughs> boilerplate
0: is much better than what I call it, which is legal gobbledygook. But... Legal
1: gobbledygook, indeed. <laughs> Very good. All right.
0: Well, until next time.
1: Thanks for joining us at the dotted line at DWT.